We flew by that show. I guess that's what happens with Michigan-Ohio State Week. We will have the call Saturday at noon. You can find the link on maizenblog.blogspot.com. We'll have volleyball and hockey Friday night for a game of the week, coupled with our sports talk. And, yeah, hockey quickly uh, got swept by Michigan State, so four games to get for them. They'll have to pull out of that against Bowling Green this weekend. Real but quickly, Rushi, how was that, that game? Totally embarrassing, the Saturday night game. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And hopefully Michigan's hockey team can turn it around. But more importantly, the football team's got one more shot to salvage the season, and we'll find out if they can do it. But for everyone here in the studio, I'm Rushi saying good night and go blue. Beat Ohio State. Come on, let's do it. One time before Jeremy and I graduate. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as Navarre gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Every experience is a learning experience, including LSD. There's no such thing as a flashback, Danny. You need to get a job so that you can curb this free-form anxiety of yours. WCBN FM Ann Alba. It's free-form. 88.3 on your toaster. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer, back from a week off of grading Oedipus the King essays. Ah, better that than Sarah Palin's autobiography. (laughs) Although that would probably want to make you gouge your eyes out, too. Call me Ishmael. (laughs) Yes, indeed. In a folksy kind of way. Yeah, folksy. Apparently she's very folksy in this book and settles scores and... Sounds like she's going to make some money, but sounds like she may be finished as a national candidate. <laughs> I saw a late-breaking poll that uh, that her numbers are interesting. 
9% say they'll definitely vote for her for president. 53% say definitely not. Those are like uh, Eugene V. Debs <laughs> numbers. <laughs> Why, uh, those are almost Dick Cheney numbers. That's how low they are. And, uh, I, you know, I'm <clears throat> never going to read this book, but uh, there actually is a review in today's New York Times by Mashito uh, Kukatani, who's an outstanding book reviewer. She usually rips into uh, books she doesn't like a little more than this, but uh, there are some genuine gems here. Apparently in the first paragraph, Palin writes, I breathed in the autumn bouquet that combined everything small-town America with rugged splashes of the last frontier. <laughs> That's what you call purple prose. I'm like, ew. <laughs> yes, we will call you Ishmael. Uh, yeah, this is a, a, a book apparently that settles scores, is sort of uh, weak on policy and strong on her just folksiness. And uh, she, uh, uh, quoting Kukatani here, she pretends no particular familiarity with the Middle East, the Iraq War, or Islamic politics. Quote, um, she's quoting Palin here, I knew the history of the conflict, she writes, to the extent that most Americans did. Uh-oh. And she argues, there's no better training for politics than motherhood. Well, uh, <laughs> it's hard to attack motherhood uh, and uh, have a leg to stand on, so that's a fairly safe, if completely bizarre, trope for her to employ there. <clears throat> I don't think politics and motherhood have anything to do with each other. But apparently it's long on creationism, uh, quoting well. Kukatani here, just to dismiss the subject so we can move on. Kukatani writes elsewhere in this volume, she talks about creationism, saying that, quote, she didn't believe in the theory that human beings, thinking loving beings, originated from fish that sprouted legs and crawled out of the sea, or from monkeys who eventually swung down from the trees. In everything that happens to her, from meeting Todd to her selection by Mr. McCain for the Republican ticket, she sees the hand of God. My life is in his hands. I encourage readers to do what I did many years ago. Invite him into takeover. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, probably a fairly common sentiment amongst the evangelical types. But the idea of God as the ultimate micromanager who's shifting each minute atom around so that the leaf blows up and hits you right in the eye just at the right moment um, is a rather absurd and, uh, I think, limiting idea of, of God. But those people aren't looking for profound philosophical concepts. They're looking for comfort. And uh, in that sense, God's not much more different than a baked potato. And, of so, course, <clears throat> you know, she writes a lot about the Iditarod um, musher, which actually should probably be the title of this book, <laughs> Mush. But anyway, uh, her one big profound quote, if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. Well, in probably Republican Party politics, the view is not much different. <laughs> well, I never trusted women that wear lots of makeup, so you kind of wonder what's underneath the mask. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm afraid that this... Uh, In this case, not much. Queen Rogue, uh, her autobiography, An American Life, uh, that's the subtitle, Going Rogue is the title. Well, maybe... It's probably not going to do her much good. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of score-settling sort of pettiness and you know she goes after katie couric the mccain campaign no, you know katie couric scourge of <laughs> the the red menace the tough uh, interview that she flunked uh, with flying colors um we still wonder what she reads but apparently she's got uh, copious references to pascal plato aristotle thomas paine pearl s bar uh, buck mark twain and melville Call me Ishmael. Yeah, well, I suppose there's probably a TV movie of the week in it. I still predict that a uh, Playboy photo spread is in that woman's future. And perhaps to uh, put this segment of the program to rest today, we'll just briefly acknowledge uh, the passing at the ripe old age of 101, uh, Claude Livy Strauss, an important writer, one of the early structuralists who wrote back in 1955. Uh, such visionary things, uh, uh, such as uh, one of the first guys to express a concern about disappearing tribes in uh, regions of the world, which he argued were far from primitive. Uh, early warnings about dangers of ecological disaster, overpopulation growth, overconsumption. Uh, most famous as an anthropologist, uh, he, of course, was famous for not really liking to travel very much and is essentially a, th a theorist. Uh, whose three mistresses he once claimed were Freud, Marx, and geology. And uh, that's quite a triumvirate of mistresses to get into intellectual bed with, and that's why his works were so influential and uh, still important and still widely read on campuses today. So Claude Levi-Strauss, one of the 20th century's heavyweight intellectuals. And somebody that no doubt Sarah Palin... Has no knowledge Doesn't of. Doesn't he make the pants? <clears throat> I've got some of those. Yes. Pants, pants, pants. Maybe that should be the subtitle of her new <laughs> autobiography. Well, David Letterman will have uh, yeah, her, some good... Yeah, uh, her speaking tour, I guess the publication of the book actually commenced today, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot about it this week from various... Talking heads, uh, pundits, and... Uh, Wags. The media circus. Yeah. I, I, apparently she appeared on Oprah today, as if I care about that. <laughs> anyway, a uh, quick uh, couple of other brain damage awards. Um, definitely wanted to give out a brain damage award to the general Republican Party's response to the fact that we're actually going to have trials regarding the 9-11 uh, business. Um, the idea that this is a propaganda victory for... Um, Al-Qaeda is ludicrous. This shows the strength of the American system. The people that and don't... rule by law. Yeah, and the people that don't want to see a trial here are probably actually the GOP for obvious reasons. Uh, it, it may reveal that the 9-11 Commission uh, report was not all that thorough, uh, maybe outright inaccurate, and who knows what else. And maybe some of the 9-11 truthers. Because obviously we, you know, would 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 have a, in a public trial, cross examination uh, by defense attorneys uh, regarding some of the evidence. Uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is, I mean, he's confessed to this, and obviously his 
the fact that he'd been waterboarded uh, extensively, extensively, and what that revealed, I think, is relevant as an issue to how we treated him. But the idea that somehow these military tribunals in Guantanamo were somehow rendering justice is ludicrous. I think I heard there were a grand total of three trials. Uh, resulting from Guantanamo and these so-called military tribunals. And these people have been in custody, many of them, for yeah. eight years. I mean, how is that any different from, you know, Soviet Politburo political prisoners in the middle of nowhere and nobody hears anything about it? It's not a proper Another, uh, way to do things. Another bogus argument made by the GOP by numerous uh, uh, members of, you know, Mitch McConnell. I, I think I heard Peter King and... John McCain and whatnot, said that this would subject New York um, to extra vulnerability regarding terrorism, that they would become a bigger target, as if they haven't already been a target of terrorism. Why this would make them a bigger target is unclear. Um, presumably, they're, they're already a target. Um, or the idea that this somehow jeopardizes the safety of people living in Manhattan because these people are basically in maximum security prisons in Manhattan. This, this, this is all baloney. I mean, I don't understand this. Um, my recollection is there have been almost no escapes from ma maximum security prisons. Uh, James Earl Ray, for instance, he escaped from a prison down there in Tennessee, but it wasn't maximum security. Uh, and our prisons are a little sturdier than they used to be. So uh, I, this argument makes no sense to me either. Um, what's wrong with a trial? I just don't get it. Well, nothing's wrong with a trial if you're interested in upholding and maintaining the dignity and respectability of rule by law. And clearly that was something the Bush administration was never interested in and seemed to come out, you know, that makes it, awkward because when the facts emerge you're sort of painted into the corner by them and you can't sort of reinvent your agenda um, as facts change quote unquote um, which is exactly what they did mm -hmm. so I think this is in everybody's interest it should have been done years ago um, this is a crime uh, not some sort of uh, you know the idea that a military tribunal is you know, any in any way suitable by uh, the site of international law is is just ridiculous. And so, yeah, let the military render justice where it's proper. And for instance, the, maybe the case of Nadal Hassan uh, in a quote military tri uh, tribunal. You know, the uh, alleged shooter down there in uh, Fort Hood. Fort Hood, and of course, we've uh, learned more about him uh, this week. Um, this, this case, of course, has got all sorts of troubling aspects, but I, I think once again where people are talking and throwing around the word terrorism, that's when uh, light bulbs and alarm bells go off in my head. This uh, strikes me as a obviously very troubled individual, and it's now emerging, by the way, I spoke a little bit about this last week, that I don't think there was any of this so-called compassion fatigue. It's now being somewhat revealed that uh, the people at Walter Reed were not assigning this guy many patients because they knew there was something not right there. Um, apparently at his master's presentation uh, in 2007, which should have been the first alarm bells about this this fellow, he uh, 
basically, uh, rather than talk about uh, um, the subject at hand in the seminar or whatever, he uh, went into some sort of a rant about uh, just war and why um, Muslims should not be required to go fight in this in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and whatnot, and apparently he was actually assigned very few patients uh, with post-traumatic stress syndrome. But as I said last week, uh, this underscores the the stress, the long-term stress on the U.S. military, the fact that the U.S. military is, uh, for all intents and purposes, broken. It's been broken by the uh, so-called global war on terrorism that uh, sort of resembles uh, the ambitions of Sarah Palin. <laughs> Her, uh, her ambition exceed her ability, and uh, obviously the Bush administration's um, blunder uh, was the war in Iraq extending ourselves into two frontiers simultaneously without proper equipment, troops, support systems, and no plan on how to pay for it. And Tom Coburn gets a brain damage award. He apparently is holding up veterans' benefits uh, with the argument that— um, this isn't paid for. <laughs> well, when are we going to start paying for the Iraq War, right. Mr. Coburn? Uh, when uh, he's apparently voted for these bills without any uh, qualms, um, and what he's doing is out, and he's actually single-handedly holding up this uh, legislation from getting through. This was underscored last week uh, as uh, the Veterans uh, Day anniversary passed. Mm -hmm. Disgraceful. Well, of course, the you know right-wing chest thumpers will say that any such talk of America's military being broken is giving up the ship and abandoning and typical you know liberal left-wing cowardice or whatever. But the fact is that it was the Bush policies that broke the U.S. Army. <laughs> it's not Al Qaeda. It's not Iraq. It's just the complete and utter lack of a plan. Uh, War is an expensive, uh, both in emotional costs and in physical material costs, uh, an obscenely expensive enterprise. And the casualness, the dubious casualness with which the Bush administration launched two simultaneous wars um, while ratcheting up the uh, hysteria and uh, atmosphere of fear at home is ultimately what's really responsible for this broken army, as you call it. <clears throat> so, you know, there you go. Look at the record. Look at the facts. Look at the, uh, you know, number of guys who were called up two and three times for tours of duty. Um, and, you know, not to certainly defend or apologize for this guy who sounds just personally like a real jerk with some with some problems. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty messed up system. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you know, without jumping to too many conclusions, it's quite clear that he was a troubled individual in many areas of his life. And the fact that, as I pointed out last week, that, that he went from being devout to zealous is what is troubling uh, regarding the inability of our institutions to connect the dots. Um, well, there's been some recent uh, articles in Harper's Magazine about the— uh, interest that certain uh, members of the army have in recruiting as many uh, Christian zealots as possible and the upsurge in sort of evangelical uh, fundamentalist Christianity within the armed uh, forces. Uh, 
to the rational planners of war. These should be people that you don't want on board. And, you know, the Army is so desperate to retain for all kinds of reasons. You know, this guy's retained because of his professional credentials and capabilities, supposedly. And the uh, area, by the way, where the, the, it's now been established, the uh, military is suffering severe shortages. Right. From... And he also happens to be uh, Arab-American, Islamic, and so from the sort of, you know, we, we re represent American diversity. That That's a useful guy to retain, too. But clearly there are warning flags that the Army's probably got uh, thousands of people in it who represent potential dangers to their immediate, you know, co-workers. Yeah, and the fact that he was even exchanging emails and the government knew about this with this uh, cleric that uh, moved to Yemen uh, in 2002 and was uh, peripherally wanted for questioning regarding the 9-11 plot because he apparently uh, had direct uh, contact with a couple of the 9-11 hijackers. Um, I want to say his name is Alakwi. Um that, once again, is troubling. Where did... <laughs> did no one notice this? Where did the flow of information go here? Um, raises some serious questions about the sort of the bureaucratic, the stovepipe. They use the word stovepipe and hair on fire. These were um, metaphors uh, uh, generously uh, discussed in the 9-11 report about mm -hmm. the intelligence failings regarding 9-11 and what people knew and what they didn't share and it just strikes me as once again it, it, there's there's a breakdown here and this is uh, th this needs to be examined but I think that when Joe Lieberman and others start throwing around the word terrorism in reference to this event um, I think that's uh, premature and uh, somewhat uh, inappropriate at the moment this, as I said last week, this guy will be the most investigated individual since Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> and he was a troubled individual, too. Indeed. Of course, uh, I've never believed that he was solely behind the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy, that there were others involved, and he may have been used as a pawn. And it's, it's also highly unlikely, uh, you know, 99.9% .9 unlikely, that this guy represents some sort of a terrorist mole. Yeah, um, or a brainwashed individual that was somehow planted. <laughs> this is just remarkable stuff. But uh, some of that nonsense is coming, unfortunately, from some people on the far left. Yeah. Well, if there is active and uh, heavy uh, activity in U.S. Uh, covert intelligence, because... The comedian Paul Krasner once noted about the Bush-Iraq war, it's the most overt, covert war in history. Um, all sorts of interesting developments along the uh, Chinese-India border. Um, and, of course, Obama's been in China. Uh, one report uh, showing that capitalism and the entrepreneurial spirit are alive and well in China was that around Beijing, uh, T-shirts uh, have been for sale with the image of Obama wearing one of those German Mao puffy suits. Um, so collect one, bring one home for the whole family. But some interesting and not unrelated developments. Pakistan and China have uh, sealed a jet fighter purchase deal. Uh, China is increasing its capacity as a producer and exporter of 
highly sophisticated weapons. Um, these are the uh, the top-notch jet fighters. Islamabad used to buy uh, Mirage fighters from France in the 70s, turned to the U.S. for F-16s in the 80s, and now Pakistan has signed a joint agreement with uh, China to collaborate on building their first jointly produced advanced fighter jet known as the JF-17, or Thunder. I don't know how to say that in Chinese or Urdu, so we'll just call it Thunder. Uh, Pakistan's going to start rolling out its own domestically built advanced fighter jets within weeks. This is a surprising uh, and seems somehow so abrupt. Uh, the Pakistani Air Force has uh, purchased uh, or plans to purchase at least 250 of these uh, as they produce them uh, with China. And, uh, okay, well, we've talked about the potential for all sorts of weird new alliances to form over there. Of course, China um, and India don't really trust each other very much. An interesting column by James Lamont, uh, writing from New Delhi in the Financial Times, uh, suggests that a former advisor to the uh, previous Indian prime minister turned heads this week when he suggested that India could find itself within five years in an armed standoff simultaneously with Beijing and Pakistan. Um, of course, there's a lot more to gain if these two continue to you know, trade peacefully, if somewhat suspiciously. China is India's largest trading partner, uh, but supposedly there's all sorts of weird little pranks that go on where if you look at Google Earth, uh, in China, from China, that is, if you go to Google Earth on your computer, uh, the, the maps have been altered to show parts of Indian territory in the Himalayas as falling under Chinese sovereignty. Yeah, they've had some border disputes. And indeed, what's interesting about Kashmir is there's actually a three-way border indeed, dispute. Indeed, there is in Kashmir. Um, that, of course, the British... Uh, imperialistic legacy contributed to some of the vagueness there. Um, my own sort of gut feeling about China is they'll always put financial concerns above military aggressiveness and um, where there's money to be made. And needless to say, the United States, ironically, is funneling money into Pakistan. It's been doing mm -hmm. so for well, decades. This was the infamous tilt to Pakistan that uh, Nixon that and Kissinger, Nixon and Kissinger concocted back in the uh, early '70s. Um, originally, uh, broke uh, the story broke by Jack Anderson. Hmm. Um, he always did some controversial work. Uh, some of it good, some of it kind of questionable. But um, this tilt was at the time part of the. Um, displeasure that uh, Kissinger and Nixon had with Indira Gandhi, who was part of the non-aligned movement right. and was sort of playing the Soviet Union and the United States off one another. Needless to say, Nixon and Kissinger... Uh, We're not going to play that game. Yes, in the tradition of Metternich, <laughs> uh, decided to exploit the Sino-Soviet split, so-called Sino-Soviet split, which was in fact real that went back to the early 60s. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope Sarah Palin's taking notes on all of this. <laughs> uh, the Sino who now? What? The who? Is that the country I can see from? She can see for miles from and miles. From Wasilla? Yeah. Speaking I, of I, the who. It's too bad that I don't have that map uh, showing the the, re, the retreat of the sea ice in that region. It's uh, fascinating. Mm. 
um, in the actual 53-mile distance between uh, those two those two great countries in which this uh, was one of <laughs> Palin's sort of uh, at the time um, justifications for why she knew something it's about part of my cred foreign foreign policy. <laughs> I can see I'm next Russia. to Canada. I'm near Russia. There, there are neighbors. Uh, yeah. I ate a burrito once. <laughs> Therefore, I know a, a lot about Mexico. <laughs> Quiero taco belly. Well, you know, sadly for a lot of Americans, that sort of stuff just really doesn't matter. I yeah. mean, Bush seemed proud of the fact that... Um, he didn't know who the prime minister of Pakistan was. Then it turned out to be quite relevant. <laughs> Indeed, it did. It was shocking how relevant it turned out to be. Wow, you mean I have to know stuff? Dang. That's a, not a job I want. I signed up for more than I bargained. Why don't you take over, Dick? Uh, I'll take another vacation. I need Has some... Obama had a vacation yet? I need some strategic thinking. Well, Obama's, yeah, he did have a brief vacation to Martha's Vineyard, but ironically oh, right. it was cut short because of the, the uh, passing of Ted Kennedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, these these summits, the Asian summit is obviously a uh, business that the president uh, must attend to, and I think that he's got the itinerary down correctly, Japan first, China second, uh, South Korea third. Mm -hmm. Um these issues need to be discussed, and it, it seems that, as usual, Obama, when he's abroad, I think represents America quite well uh, in terms of his—what's what, his main asset is, is coolness. And I think that one encouraging development on the big picture is that Obama has decided to reject all of the Afghan options. He wants more information. The um, conservatives— That's the best thing you could hope for, really, because yeah. none of the plans— are promising. Yeah, and when you get you know the ambassador to uh, um, Afghanistan openly saying this is a loser, let's get out. Yeah, and that's leaked out. There's obviously a battle royale going on within the Obama administration regarding the the, the course to go forward. But when you hear this a critique that this has been dithering, let's remember that it's Obama that actually put more troops into Afghanistan. Mr. Bush was the ditherer. He he did nothing about the Afghanistan problem after 9-11. Well, and, and said as much in as many words yeah. that I don't worry too much about that anymore. Yeah, I don't worry about where bin Laden is. I don't think about him anymore. Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think about other than higher powers? <sighs> nothing now. Cheeseburgers, maybe. Yeah. I mean, public speaking, I guess he's... Uh, He's out there on the lecture circuit, <laughs> giving inspirational speeches to those that... Uh, well, his only requirement is that everybody in the room has to be in uniform, because that's the only ever crowd he spoke to as president, except for the State of the Union addresses, were people on military bases. Yeah, but of course now the uniforms are three-piece suits and right. uh, women with cloth coats, uh, cloth coats to <laughs> invoke uh, Nixon yeah. again, yes... The checkers speech. A good Republican cloth coat. A good one. <laughs> wonder, wonder why pa uh, Palin wears those leather jackets. So gauche. Well, uh, just uh, to let you know, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I guess uh, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Oh, no, I guess they're ready to go right now. Okay. 
Well, uh, thanks to Alex uh, this evening for engineering, letting us know that Yazoo City Calling is indeed ready uh, to rock and roll down there in uh, our actual music studio. So uh, carry on. Drive safely. (laughs) 